1: podcast is proudly brought to you by Maddox Lawyers, the lawyers to call when you need practical solutions to complex problems. Welcome to PX37 Today. I'm Jess Noonan, and as always, I'm joined by Peter Jewell. Hello, Jess. Hello. Today, we're joined by Brett Davis, who's a peer Fellow and aka Mr Plan. That's his Instagram handle, by the way. I've known Brett for a very long time. He's one of the first people I met through the Planning Institute when I was involved in the Young Planners. He was always a friendly face and an advocate for the regions, which I've always also been interested in. It's my absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Brett.
2: Thank you. Now, Brett, could you just give us, uh, the listeners, a
0: brief background of uh, your bio? Okay. um, City boy, born and bred, but over the journey of my career, have really morphed into the region's. Experienced in all levels of government uh, and also significant private experience as well. And you've still
2: got enthusiasm even though you've been in all levels of,
0: of government? I have indeed. <laughs> now, do you want to tell us a bit about the Victorian Planning Authority? Yes. Okay, so the VPA. The VPA. VPA. So, yes. for those that get acronym tiredness, we will be referring to it as the VPA. It's the state government's place based growth area agency but it's also got a regional component. So we prepare land use and infrastructure plans for growth precincts, strategic sites, and it's an implementation arm for Plan Melbourne uh, in that there's two actions in Plan Melbourne specifically to our area, 102 and 103, for the peri-urban areas and regional cities. What people don't often know is that it's quite a multidisciplinary organisation. There are um, close to 100 people there bringing different skills and expertise to create different and great places, we hope, for growing communities. But how's it funded? It's funded, as I understand, um, through uh, uh, an allocation through the budget via... Um, and that comes through DELP, or the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning.
1: You didn't want to have to say that one out loud, did you? No.
0: <laughs> no, and there, there are also uh, different funding streams, but I can't give you an accurate read on that. This is day 51. And, and where were you before the VPA? I was at Planning Panels Victoria over a period of nine years as a sessional and a full-time member.
2: Now, many of our listeners are overseas, so they won't know much about the, the organisations. So, essentially, you sat in judgment of proposals for nine years uh, in terms of rezonings and amendments and, and strategic documents.
0: That, that's a fair way to put it. Um, unlike perhaps a tribunal setting, though, it was um, planning panels are an advisory body. They would provide advice to the minister and the minister could choose to do or not do um, and, and the what, recommendations. What
2: was, what's the biggest thing you learnt in sitting in judgment over nine years?
0: I think the extreme amount of work that people undertake to get it to a planning panel stage. Um, the fact that it's a, a fairly... I believe it was a, a fairly, um, uh, the rules of natural justice do apply in a panel hearing. Everyone gets a say and the panel will have uh, the opportunity to make sure that happens. And people need to have that ability to have their say.
2: I mean, it's an incredible
0: responsibility sitting in judgment. There are a great deal of pressures on what I would call the other side of the table. Um, that's often... Um, not necessarily appreciated at the time, but it's it, it was a terrific role, uh, gave me a breadth of experience and I did a lot of the regional areas as well, which probably was well suited to the role that I've moved into. Um, and one thing I would say there is, you know, panel members are always looking to the council offices because they're the ones that have lived and breathed uh, a lot of these planning amendments and sometimes They don't feel like they should be sitting at the table or have a say because they've got representation, but I would certainly say um, don't sit back. Mm.
1: Just going back to the VPA, how does the VPA select regional projects?
0: There's a selection process that, um, through a number of ways, there's a statement of expectations that the Minister puts out each year and on that will be basically a work plan for the VPA to do. There is a call for strategic sites in which the VPA run them. these sites through a set of criteria. And then there's always um, streamlining for growth, which is a, an annual funding budget that allows councils to put in for framework plans, um, precinct structure plans, or a general assistance and facilitation.
2: Now, Brett, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I'm a bit sceptical of um, regional planning. Why do we need it? We've already got, uh, for listeners outside... Uh, Victoria, we've got a, um, a state government and local councils. Why do we need
0: someone, another tier of government? Well, it's not another tier. Um, regional planning is not any different to metropolitan planning. It's all planning. People have perceptions that, and the thing that uh, can does annoy me is that people have perceptions it's inferior to metropolitan planning, but it's equally important. Any regional similar, uh, any regional centres are similar. Um, and they have similar issues to metro areas. As regional planners, you get broader exposure, I feel, to a far wider range of issues. Um, Victorian Planning Authority is a mixture of metropolitan, inner, outer, and regional planners.
1: Our regional towns and cities play a key role in the hierarchy of our cities, and they also play a key role in boosting tourism. What role do you see our regional play? Oh, sorry, our regional cities playing into the future?
0: Well, they need to take their share of growth as Victoria continues to have an influx of people. Um, just the other day, at a VPA industry event, the minister opened it and said that would be at ten million people by twenty fifty of which 8 million will be within the metropolitan area. So, you know, there's 2 million out there and which needs to go to the regional and peri-urban areas and they've got to pick up the majority of that.
1: So is that also um, now, I guess, looking beyond your Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelongs and looking further into the regions or are we still focusing on those key areas?
0: Well, there's the 10 regional cities, so there's those that you've mentioned and there's others like Shepparton, Warrnambool, Wodonga and the like. Uh, then there's the peri-urban areas, which are just gen- particularly on the on, on the fringe of Melbourne. Um, but they do... The challenge and the major challenge here is that we're not wanting to create pockets of outer of Melbourne in the regions. We're wanting to create areas which also bring employment opportunities too. So the people living in those areas should be working in those areas wherever possible.
1: Yeah, um you fell straight into my hands here about Warrnambool <laughs> so apparently Warrnambool has been dubbed as the most livable regional city in Victoria yet it's significantly smaller and further away from Melbourne and less well known than you know your Geelong's, Benigo's, Ballarat's what are your thoughts around this or do you know anything about Warrnambool being the regional hub
0: well yes if you deal with any of the council um, at the moment, and you get a, an email from them, it's all over their signature blocks. That <laughs> Deloitte, I think, it was that reported. It was Deloitte, yeah. yeah. Look, Warnable's on the coast, it's got two major rivers, it's got heritage, tourism, top line medical, a regional cancer centre, a brand spanking new sort of seven or eight million dollar upgrade to its CBD. Why wouldn't you want to live there? Mm. It, it's tracking well. Proximity to Melbourne shouldn't be the be all and end all here. Mm. You've got to be self-contained, and perhaps I'm not I'm not across the entire metrics with the Deloitte study, but as a as an area that can lead the sort of southwest region, mm. it's it's doing its job. Yeah.
2: But you mentioned uh, the prediction by the minister uh, that Victoria will have a population of ten million by 2050. Does the VPA's role also include advising the government of the perils of population growth? I mean, there is a a rising backlash against increased population growth. Yesterday, there was uh, a poll that 56% of people thought there was far too much population intake. Has the VPA any role in this whole population debate? Or Or just takes orders and tries to facilitate it?
0: Not that it takes orders, but our role is to facilitate growth. Population and, and population policy per se, the VPA isn't in the policy space. Uh, there are other, other areas for that, particularly the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. We're the agency that's there to facilitate and deliver growth. What I will say is what we're also there coordinating the delivery of the infrastructure with that at the same time. Um, through the infrastructure contributions, plans and the like, to ensure that what what does come through the pipeline, so to speak, uh, comes through at a more coordinated rate than perhaps what it has done historically.
1: I wanted to talk about the key ingredients of a successful regional centre. We talk about this in a city context all the time, but I'm interested to know whether that ingredient list is different for the regions.
0: Oh, not particularly. You need a place that... that uh, has the right mix of age groups. You need a place that has great access and proximity to education, health, um, open space, good housing stock, a variety of housing stock, good transport links. So the the 20-minute city aspirations of Plan Melbourne they equally apply in some respects to regional areas. It just might be through a different mode of transport. I see Ballarat recently are promoting a 10-minute city. Um, everyone's using different metrics in that regard, but the the principles, comes back to that regional planning question at the start, the principles of planning are the same. There are some different lenses and issues to deal with, but regional cities need that uh, that same vibrant mix as well. Employment is also the big one, and youth employment is probably the next major challenge that we're all facing with.
2: But what do you think, what areas do you think future planners will say we've failed in? And, you know, looking back over the last 10 years, what do you, you know, 10, 15 years, what do you see the critical failures in the planning system have been in Victoria?
0: I... I... And this is me, certainly yes, not, not not yeah. a not a VPA ro- uh, role, but it's it's been the, the the failure to perhaps link infrastructure with what's happening on the ground at a faster rate. Uh, be be that be that buses, be that schools coming in, be that um, you know road upgrades. Often things are done with you know a, a two lane entrance that's going to be four lanes one day, and it takes a long time for that to occur. That, and, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone there. That That is a whole-of-government challenge. There, each government has its own forward projections and and well, we're going to do this then, but all of a sudden growth comes this way. I think growth's caught a lot of people off the hop, on the hop, the rate of it. And that
2: gets back to my question about the population growth. I mean, Australia's growing at you know, the, the fastest rate in the OECD and there is, it seems to be uh, concerns about the ability of planning to cope with that and also infrastructure services. I think that's a fairly widespread concern.
0: Mm. Look, regionally, I think there are, particularly the regional centres, are, are better equipped to take some of this growth because they've probably been under capacity for some time. But it's so jobs, isn't it? And there's no, it is jobs.
2: There's no jobs in the regions to the same extent as the honeypot, the, say the capital city Melbourne is.
0: No, and, and, and the changing industries of, um, you know, the decline of traditional manufacturing has hit regions harder than it has perhaps across metropolitan Melbourne. But with that comes opportunity, opportunity through things like um, coding, the IBM P-TECH school at Ballarat where they're, they're taking people through the last couple of years of their high school education and getting them straight into a coding arm, which is a sort of advanced tech-type school. Um, there are a number of opportunities that the regions, particularly around tourism, hospitality, allied health and health, that are a boon for them. They can attract people through a much more affordable housing, a better lifestyle and also um, high-end you know, medical jobs are available.
2: But you mentioned tourism. I, I, from a personal note, I've been working on a tourism project and I'm astounded that the planning scheme is completely silent about tourism. You know, it there, doesn't have its own category. It, there seems to be very little encouragement, even though it's one of the major uh, employment sources in the regions. It just, I'm just staggered by the lack of acknowledgement in our planning system.
0: Hmm? Look, that's, that's an interesting... Observation certainly on the ground, though you find particularly bodies such as Regional Development Victoria or or, um, or their counterparts are quite active in that space to promote the right tourism opportunities. Tourism fi- often falls within that fine line of how does it then relate on a land use outcome. So I'm I'm intrigued that um, you're saying it's silent. There's a number of MSSs that I've come across that would have those opportunities in there, but in a state policy sense.
2: I suppose when you get closer down to the ground, a lot of the zones are not conducive to tourism development and that entrepreneurial opening up of opportunities. It just seems like the dead hand is over this thing, stifling it.
0: Yeah, and that's there's a, there's a whole broader podcast we could have on that, <laughs> on where planning is going... Um, in terms of this day and age, and disruptors like uh, Airbnb and start-up companies and you know, and the traditional land use zoning model, has it had its day? Um, well, that's a good
2: point. I mean, you think about transportation, disruptions to transportation. What we grew up in knowing in this sort of heavy rail and this and this, uh, with the nimbleness of new technologies, uh, we are entering completely new realm.
0: We are, and uh, you know, I'm encouraged by, you know, you've got City of Greater Geelong, um, which is one of the regional cities about 45 minutes, 50 minutes from Melbourne. They're planning some of their new growth areas to include this creative and clever corridor, and they don't necessarily know what exactly that's for, but mm-hmm. they're putting the land in place. They're thinking it could be automated bus. It could be a whole raft of things, but that's that's good thinking.
1: And this is like those experimental suburbs we've been talking with people
2: about as well. We've been urging this just yeah, for a long we time. Really and, are. and the city of
0: Warrnambool. <laughs> people are listening to our podcast. <laughs> the city of Warrnambool have have come to the table, and you know they're they're contemplating a low carbon precinct structure plan. Mm. That's the sort of stuff that gets gets you going in the morning in terms of hey, they're thinking differently, they're thinking about the future, and they're thinking well, how do we make this a bit more sustainable and a bit more deliverable for the next generation? Mm.
1: So, you'd say that technology is well and truly arrived in the regions as well?
0: Oh, the technology opportunities are limitless. I mean, okay, there are some areas that still suffer from um, uh, lack of phone coverage. I think Mm. that's gotten less and less each year we go on, but that is still an issue that needs to be resolved. But The ability to work remotely and with technology is a reality, and we're sitting in here in a mini radio studio that'll go out (laughs) around the world. I mean, 10 years ago was the first iPhone. Mm. Things are changing at a rapid pace, and the next 10 years we'll see a whole um, raft of new innovations that the regions can embrace just as much as metropolitan Melbourne.
1: to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalised service call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website
2: also we thank Victorian Planning Reports our very first supporter if you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs details on our website
1: And finally, thank you to Salt Traffic and Waste Engineering who are a highly skilled group of professionals under the direction of the wonderful Joe Garrity. Details also on our website.
2: But that brings to the question, what are the unknowns for you in regional planning? So what things, what do we not know? The sort oh. of unknown
0: unknowns.
1: He knows everything, Pete. I don't know why you're asking him that.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll throw a yarn gal quote first in that we first we shape our cities, then our cities shape us. In shaping the cities...
2: So That's a copy from Winston Churchill because he said, we shape <laughs> our buildings and then they shape us.
0: Well, you can take that up with yarn. But oh, um... he
2: just pinched it from dear old Winston. I think
0: I think some of the all well, the unknowns for me, particularly entering into this role, is just the extent of impact of infrastructure gaps in terms of funding. We can plan for these things all we want. How are we going to make some of these happen? There are some councils out there that have massive constraints in the regions because they've got more roads to look after than you'd care to even imagine. Um and roads are important in the regions. Let's not get that wrong. It's it can't all be public transport and driverless cars and and the like. There are transport routes out there. Um, it is it is an unknown. Um,
1: and you think cars and cars and roads are political in the city, but when you take that up in the regions, it's a whole other kettle of fish, isn't it?
0: It is. Well, it well,
2: is. it gets down to you know uh, it gets down to road safety and it gets down to transporting goods mm, in, the, in the rural areas yeah. and. Uh, and I, th- I think a lot of the, um, the old-fashioned stuff about the regions is forgotten sometimes. I, I mean, you agree. talk about a, you talk about a low-carbon future. Well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of basic infrastructure needs and a, a lot of making what works now better in terms of the agricultural production. When you think about wool, that's just going through the roof now. Everyone thought it was dead, but um,
0: look. And the other unknown you've you've touched on it already is disruption. But none of us know, you know, that, that is a major unknown. I think regions are nimble enough in this day and age to embrace those disruptions, probably more so than some of our established areas.
2: I, I agree. I think country people are far more resilient. Now, I, I'm a, as I said, I'm a bit sceptical about regional planning. My experience <laughs> is that the big fish eat the little fish in terms of what's going on. Maybe that's just my personal experience, Brett, but the well-resourced big regional cities... Tend to dominate the smaller shires, if you like.
0: That's a fair, a fair assumption. Look, we've both, we've all worked in the regions. We've seen that happen. But the the smaller fish that are more nimble can take advantage of that situation and trade off it. It's the old hub and spoke model. Have the have your cluster around a regional centre or a peri-urban centre, but then the smaller areas trade off that. I think. Over time, let's use Hepburn Shire as a model, Ballarat has been the centre of that area. For
2: listeners, that's about an hour and ten minutes from Melbourne, Yes,
0: and Hepburn is about the same? It is. Yep. And Hepburn contains a higher-end tourism offer. Um, You've got got Dalesford in particular, sort of the day spa uh, area. Um, yeah, lifestyle sort
2: of lifestyle towns. suburbs, or so lifestyle, towns.
0: lifestyle areas. Mm.
1: Huge amount of tourism as well. Huge amount
0: of tourism, mm. but from that shire, they've recognised that they'll never compete with a, a Ballarat in terms of scale or what Ballarat get. But they've managed to really effectively, particularly over the past decade, leverage opportunity after opportunity. Hepburn Wind generate, you know, two publicly owned community co-opted uh, wind turbines that power. 80% of Dalesford. You know what an opportunity they saw it, they took it, and what that did is negate necessarily perhaps broader wind farms coming around them. But Clunes, the little town that could, Cloons Booktown in two weeks' time. You know Cloons well. Mm, I do. Cloons was an absolute sleeper. It's got the it's got a heritage movie set Main Street used by Ned Kelly and countless other TV shows. Um, but then they got together and they said, well, let's turn the town into a book town for a weekend where everyone sells books. It's now, I think, in its 10th or 11th year and just going gangbusters. Mm. I think it all kicked off after I started playing cricket for clones. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh... but I mean, so Hepburn realised that they weren't going to be Ballarat or the, the major towns were. So they've able to leverage that. Creswick, a town which I lived in for some time as well, has become quite uh, a rising and unique place offer to live if you don't want to live in Ballarat or if you don't want to live in Dalesford and you've still got the same proximity to Melbourne and it's got a train.
2: It's a restlessness, I think, in people wanting to do better in regional towns. What do you think, Jess? Mm, agree. You know the regions pretty well. Mm.
1: I think you're also assuming that everyone wants to live in a in a city, whereas personally I'd be all about going to the smaller place, a bit more character and a book festival.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, and th- that's that's true. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of the exciting things with, with the job and having done a lot of panels also in, in previous job and also consulting is in the regions, people are prepared to roll up their sleeves. It's almost, it's just a different mindset if they come in and say, right, what do we need to do mm. rather than why are we doing this? Yeah. I, I
2: found the networks are so much stronger in, in, in country towns and regions that... Everyone is connected through sport, through church, through service organisations, through kids' schooling, and there's that more collectivism in the right way. Because you lived quite
1: regionally for a while, didn't you, Pete? Yeah, I've lived in the regions a lot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a community aspect that I I think is is missing being back in Melbourne uh, at the moment in that you go for a ride or a run or a walk and people say Hello. Simple. You don't get that in Melbourne,
1: mm. or if you do, people look at you very strangely. <laughs> That's right.
0: Um, and and it's it's just it's a different there's a different mindset uh, that I that I quite enjoy working with people who are dedicated to making the place they live better.
2: In terms of inequities between city and country, um, some of the health outcomes aren't so great in the regions. Yeah, is that part of the VPA's remit, or do you work with other Bodies about those health issues. Does that come into
0: it? Do, it's not a it's not a well. It, yes, it does because just working through that, our our main job is to make better places, and better places doesn't mean shiny new X builder one oh one housing. It's about community. It's about access, walkability, and those metrics when done the right way, should lead to less incidence of health issues. I used to, in a in my old PIA... Um, Just for readers, uh, listeners, sorry. Uh, sorry, our Planning Institute of Australia role, um, we used to go out to a lot of councils and communities and talk about the, the benefits of planning and the old argument of, oh, we need more hospitals, but the view is that if you do this right at the other end, you need less hospitals. Preventative, mm. preventative, mm. healthy communities, healthy communities. Mm.
1: Brett, do you have a uh, a regional city pinup? <laughs>
2: I'm get overseas, in trouble this. Uh, well, well, maybe one Australian and one. Is there anything overseas as well that you? Is in you look something
1: to? that you draw inspiration from from a planning perspective?
0: Well. Because I was closely invested in Ballarat for a long time, I'll throw Ballarat up there. I know that'll annoy you as a Bendigo. No,
1: that's fine, that's fine.
0: A fan. Um, <laughs> Ballarat, because, you know, while proximity to Melbourne is not the factor, it is a factor. But it's heritage setting, it's housing diversity, education, health, great bike riding and the coffee scene. The, the, the 12 years that I was in Ballarat, I was, I was really lucky enough to be involved in, in placemaking and, and getting there to the city. When I got there, there were probably two to three places that everyone would say you can go to eat. Now there are, there's, there's 15 to 20. Coffee shops, there by the dozen now where you can get top quality coffee. And When I say coffee, I'm not being a snob there, it's all about the third place, the place you go and meet. Peter, you're coming to town, let's go here, we'll have a good coffee and we'll talk business. That's the burgeoning market there. Um, regional providors, wine bars, the whole box and dice, they've now got a hatted restaurant. You know, Ballarat didn't have a hatted restaurant and that was a big issue for them and rightly so. They managed to sort of do that. An employment zone, the first area to sort of actively get out there and promote and put all this land for particular type of uses under an employment zone. So it's, it's humming, it's got an AFL ground. They get two, two games a year. And that, that all came through 2008, 2009 and 10, a council being brave enough to put some of these aspirations in a vision that only just recently got updated and the strength of the report then was that, that it was a very minor update because they, they got got it right. The thing all regional cities need to understand is that it doesn't stop. The plan only going on the shelf is not... It doesn't end. There's a constant tweaking that needs to go on otherwise you do get left behind and that's a bigger challenge for some of our smaller compatriots out there.
1: Now Brett just moving on a little bit you've been involved in many senior planning and leadership roles in the public and private sectors as well as being a fellow of the Planning Institute and past state president of PIA. What advice would you give to young planners coming through the ranks?
0: Do some time in the regions I'm amazed at how hard regional councils find it to get staff.
2: Well, that's because everyone's... You know, a lot of these young people are very snobby, Brett. They uh, want to be
0: close to the inner city. So what I would say to them... And want a good coffee. (laughs) Well, they can get good coffee. I've just told you about (laughs) that, Jess. But what I would say is that a year spent in the regions is the equivalent of at least two years in a metropolitan sense. So think about what that does for your career... You make great friends, you meet amazing people and networks, and the networks stick even when you move on. My other advice would be don't burn too many bridges. It's a small industry and it's amazing how you end up working with people again in different roles.
2: Just on that point, Brett, I mean, sometimes, you know, I was speaking to someone on the weekend and they said, look, they were outspoken when they were younger because they thought it was the right thing to do. And they went for a job interview in another place and that was brought up against them. So, you know, you say don't burn your bridges, but aren't, do, we, do we suppress the young too much?
0: No, I I I think, know there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. And burning bridges is probably more around respect for others. We've all worked with the, the bully planner or the planner that is uh, sexist or inappropriate and has traded off that. I'm not saying don't be bold or brave, planners need to have opinion, uh, opinions, but it's, it's more around having that ability to um, earn the respect of the people, and that doesn't come instantly. Some people need to, particularly coming into the system now, you do have to earn respect. Uh, volunteer, get involved in other things, doesn't have to be planning. Um, but get out there and experience other parts of why you're doing things. One of the best things I ever did was the Leadership Ballarat and Western Region Program, where we had a year of various um, tasks and projects in the community, visiting prisons, The whole, just eye-opening, mm. stuff that stays with you. So it's life experience. Life experience mm. is critical, and, and you do get it in spades in regional areas. Travel, travel. Um, take up other opportunities, work in local government, for God's sake. Local government is a great training ground to get a basis. I agree. Something Jess hasn't done yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're both looking at me.
0: <laughs> both stat and strategic planning. Don't buy into the stat versus strategic planning. The best planners I've worked with are those that have a balance as well.
2: Brett, what makes you laugh in planning? Well, well, do you ever have a good laugh about things? I, I know you are a very f- funny guy, but <laughs> your public persona is sitting on panels, is being, you know, like like Solomon, you're wise and everything like that. But what makes you laugh in planning?
0: Oh, I think there are there are great characters in planning. It it can come out. I think, um, and you've had a few of them on this podcast. There are some lawyers that are incredibly funny and have this dry wit that. They might have dropped things in a hearing, and inside you just you are going off like a frog in a sock. But you've mm, got mm. to keep the poker face mm. on.
2: We, we we do inhabit a very collegial type profession. I think mm. I think we're lucky that we in ha- the profession we have.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. There, are, you know, while I said before about the burning bridges stuff, I've been involved in a number of matters where it has gotten quite heated. But then at, at the next event or something that you come across, there's no. There's no hard feelings there. It's it's very much, well, you know, what are you up to these days and how's that going and and, and you move on. So um, I'm always amazed at uh, what will make me laugh and, and uh, how everything old is new again sometimes in planning.
1: And Brett, you said that you're an avid uh, book reader. Can you recommend a book for our listeners?
0: Yes. Um, not a planning book, but there's a book by... An author, um, Jock Sarong, who is a southwest, I think he's based in Port Ferry, uh, he wrote The Rules of Backyard Cricket. Now, this thing you cannot put down. It sounds pretty boring, but in the light, particularly, of what's just happened, it's a fascinating This Is that like the
2: ball tampering incident you're talking about mm. in South Africa? Oh, shame on our country.
0: Uh, it's very, really, and look, a planning book, Richard Florida. And most things he does are quite good, but I really enjoyed his book, The Great Reset, which was talking about what's next, tracing sort of the Great Depression, the Wall Street collapse, the global financial crisis, and how regions in particular reset after those, those events. It's a, it's a really well written and, and easy read.
2: Well, thanks very much, Brett. For the uh, listeners, this is PX37, one of our uh, most interesting ones, I think. Uh, And so thanks again, Brett, for your time. And Jess, always good working with you. And listeners, this production and audio is put together by Zach Wills-Allen from Complete Podcast Series. He makes all this happen, so we're very grateful to Zach. Thank you. Goodbye, listeners.